0: Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Haywood. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatars and the Ambani's, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. India, a country that is always synonymous with tea, also happens to be one of the world's major coffee producers. Despite its tea loving heritage, India's coffee culture continues to slowly evolve thanks to the changing consumption habits of the rising middle class, growing brand awareness, as well as the emergence of specialty coffee startups. Specialty coffee, which provides customers with coffee freshly brewed per their preferences, is driving the growth of the Indian coffee scene. Moreover, the effort to build a domestic Indian coffee market is enabling farmers from the bottom of the supply chain to be connected to Indian consumers who have traditionally thought of coffee as a luxury item. Blue Tokai, named after an ancient South Indian term for the tail of a peacock, is a coffee startup that wants to popularize India's vast coffee-growing plantations and connect Indians to Western-style speciality coffee culture. Today. I'm extremely excited to be speaking with fellow coffee enthusiast and the co-founder of Blue Takai Coffee Roasters, Matt Chittaranjan. When Matt and his wife Namrata moved to India from the US, they missed drinking Specialty Coffee and began sourcing high-quality coffee from farms and roasting it at home. They soon discovered an immense customer base for Specialty Coffee and as a result, in 2013, Blue Takai was born. Blue Takai's vision is to bring great quality Specialty Indian coffee to the mass affluent urban population of India. Over the years, the company has evolved and expanded its operation with standalone cafes and roasteries across the country. In less than a decade, Blue Takai has roasted more than a thousand tons of coffee, served close to three million cups from its network of over 50 cafes, and remains one of India's fastest growing f startups. What started as a hobby back in 2013 has now turned into a thriving, fully-fledged coffee business. I'm Ben Haywood, and you're listening to Inside India. Well, welcome, Matt. It's great to have you on the show today. I am a coffee addict, so have been looking forward to this one for a while. And I know coffee is a really exciting part of the kind of consumer industry in India. So yeah, great to have you with us. Thanks, Ben. Really great to be here. We are going to kick off like most episodes at the very start or even before the very start of Blue Eye. And if you could take us back a few years, how did you end up in India in the first place? What's your background pre-India? And then, of course, kind of the early days of Blue Eye?
1: So I'm actually from the U.S. I was born and brought up in a small town there, though my father is Indian. He emigrated for grad school and, and settled there. So I went to NYU and I did a finance degree, and then I was doing economic and real estate consulting in the Bay Area for a number of years. And I was there at a time when specialty coffee was really taking off and becoming part of the mainstream coffee culture. So the first blue bottle cafe was right around the corner from my apartment. And that really got me interested in how coffee is sourced, roasted, and brewed with a focus on quality. And so as part of that, I started roasting coffee on my own as a hobby. So I was doing consulting for a number of years, then I thought I wanted to be a professor, so I went and got a master's degree in economics in Canada. I quickly realized that academia isn't for me, but I sort of transitioned into a career in doing international economic development projects. And so that's what ultimately brought me to India in 2011. I moved here to work in an organization called IFMR in Chennai, doing access to finance research. And it just so happened that I ended up meeting my wife there. She was also working at IFMR. Chennai wasn't really the city for me, having lived in, in New York and, and the Bay Area for you know a long time. But her parents lived in Delhi, and I really liked Delhi. And so in 2012, we moved to Delhi. In terms of starting Butokai, we were both at points in our careers where we were looking to do something on our own. And Delhi, the coffee scene in 2012, was pretty desperate. It was very difficult to get a good cup of coffee at that time. There was kind of the very expensive imported beans. So India has 110% duty on imported coffee which means that getting coffee from around the world is quite cost prohibitive. And so what you saw in the market at that time was domestic commodity coffee, kind of the average Arabica mixed with Robusta or filter coffee, which was mixed with chicory.
0: Yeah, I'll dive in here because it's a really interesting story as to actually how you got going. I believe you started weren't you literally roasting in your wife's parents' house in Delhi to begin with.
1: Yeah, so uh, because we started it as really kind of a passion project for us, we were just looking for the type of coffee that we wanted to drink. So we started it on a very small scale. We were fortunate that my wife's parents they had a spare bedroom in their house, and so we got a small one kg roaster, and we started it off really as a, a mom and pop kind of enterprise, just selling the coffee online. Within a few months, we got some traction on the the wholesale side of the business. So there were other cafes and restaurants who were looking to upgrade from the coffee options that were available at that time to uh, A higher quality locally produced product at one point i was roasting 14 hours a day (laughs) and so so then we actually upgraded to a a five kg commercial roaster took over another room in in my in-laws house and kind of
0: expanded the business from there brilliant and yeah i think lots of things to unpack there which we will do as we kind of walk through the episode but Yeah. yeah i certainly remember being in delhi probably around that time actually maybe a couple of years later and there really wasn't much on offer coffee wise. I mean, nice coffee, good coffee, Starbucks, maybe there was a lot of cafe coffee days around, but not much to write home about there. So my question, I guess, is that you spoke a little bit about demand coming in from high end eateries that wanted to upgrade their coffee, but you are probably one of the first big boutique specialty coffee roasters. Are you leading with trying to supply the market with better coffee and hoping that the demand will follow? Or do you think it's more the demand is there from the underlying discerning Indian consumer and you just tapping that kind of untapped demand?
1: I think it's a mix of both. I would say when we started, there was a perception that no one in India is willing to pay for better quality coffee. So I remember we went to a grower very early on and he's like, I'll sell you my best quality uh, Arabica beans, but unless you mix it with Robusta or you mix it with Chicory, your business is going to fail and this will be the last year that you buy from me. So I think there was a very strong perception back in 2013 that India is a very price sensitive market. So premium products are going to be difficult. I think a lot has changed since then. So to your point is that more and more people are getting exposed to better quality coffee in India through traveling abroad or working abroad or even just reading on the internet. And so I think that there's a growing awareness of what good quality coffee is, and people are looking for that domestically. And I think that we, in the beginning, we were able to tap into kind of some unmet demand for that because there was no one really doing the type of coffee that we were doing when we started. So if you were a coffee lover and you heard of Blue Tokai, you were going to try it out because it was quite new. Now, I think as incomes have risen and more and more people are opting for better quality locally produced products across consumer goods. So it's not just with coffee, what's happening in India now, you see it with with beer, you see it with cheese, you see it with bread. Sourdough bread has become a big thing in the last few years, whereas that was never the case before. So I think, one, there was some unmet demand, but two, global trends towards better quality products are also here in India, and we're kind of
0: riding that wave as well. Awesome, yeah. I really want to unpick the business in a little bit more detail later in the episode. But just kind of to pick up a little bit more on this kind of coffee in India, there's a few things going on here because I think India's got this perception of being a huge tea-drinking market. But actually, there's been a very long established coffee culture in India. Reports and, and kind of I've read about coffee shops in Calcutta in the 1800s. India is, I think, it what is it the fourth or fifth largest producer of green beans globally. So coffee is very much a part of life in India. It just kind of gets... Overshadowed maybe by tea and tea drinking Indians.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think actually more than
0: coffee or tea, India is a milk consuming country. So,
1: in the north, people tend to have their milk with tea. And in the south, people have their milk with coffee. So, there's a very strong filter coffee tradition in the south of the country where, you know, you can walk into any shop and they'll give you a good cup of of fresh filter coffee for a very reasonable price. Whereas in the north, it's more of an instant coffee drinking culture. So, I think it's, Coffee has has long been part of India's you know the culture here. It's just that premium coffee was never a thing. So filter coffee is typically made with kind of average arabica plus robusta plus chicory, and chicory was just a, a substitute that was put into coffee when the price was too high. It's actually just the root of a of a lettuce that they roast and grind. But it's become so ingrained as part of South India's filter coffee tradition that some some people feel that you have to have chicory in order to get the true taste of of coffee which is kind of ironic that the substitute has become sort of the facsimile for the, the authentic thing.
0: And you did speak about it just then, but you do source, I think most of your beans do come from India, right?
1: Yeah, actually, all of, all of the coffee that we source comes from India. So that was something that we really were, I mean, apart from the price aspect, I think it was very important for us to really highlight farms in India who were producing good quality coffee, because even within India, people had no idea that there were farms who were at this level especially when we started, the perception was that you had to get imported coffee. So like Lavazza or Ily. So it was sort of like the gold standard. And what they were doing is they're taking Indian coffee, importing it in Italy, roasting it there, and then sending it back at a significant premium. And so I think for us, it was really important to highlight the states that we were sourcing the beans from because ultimately the quality of coffee that we sell will only be as good as the green coffee that these estates produce. And so I think one of the perception changes that we tried to do was bring transparency to that aspect. Previously, it was very rare that you'd see an estate listed on a a packet of coffee. There's sort of a secretiveness where people don't want you to know where they're sourcing the coffee from because then they feel that you can go to those estates and source the same coffee. So they feel it's a competitive advantage to hide that. Whereas we wanted to flip that around and bring that level of transparency to the consumers.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. One of the themes that have come up throughout this podcast series especially with the consumer businesses and a question that i've consistently asked the guests that come on you know is uh, around the sensitivity of the indian consumer it was jasper in my first episode who runs wendy's burgers and jamie's pizzas he's had to completely customize what we in the west would perceive to be a kind of beef burger or a chicken burger have you had to do that with your coffees as well they you mentioned milk loving culture there are all your coffees really, really milky and sweet, or is that not the case?
1: We do some bit of customization. So when we started, because we were sourcing really high quality green coffee, we thought, okay, we're only going to do light and medium roasts, because that's where you get to taste the more of the complexity of of the coffee. But then we would get customers who are like, oh, I need something darker. So then we did a medium dark roast. Then they're like, I want something darker. And then so then we did a Vienna roast. Uh, and then finally, some people were asking for even darker. And so we did a French roast. So we did do kind of some customization there, and, but at the back end, we made sure that we still applied the same principles in terms of sourcing really good quality green coffee and roasting it very carefully, even if it was a darker roast, to make those dark roasts the highest quality coffees that we could. At the cafe level, we do get people asking, oh, can I have like a hazelnut latte or a vanilla latte? And, and those are things that we don't offer because we really want to highlight the quality of coffee that we have. And we don't want to have that be diluted by a lot of other flavorings added to it. So for example, India also is a a market where people like their beverages incredibly hot. So, you know, a cappuccino should be made at, you know, somewhere between 60, 65 degrees. And so when we serve that coffee to guests, sometimes they're like, no, no, this is cold. I want it hotter. And what we do is we explain to them that, okay, actually, if you heat milk beyond this level, the flavor changes. It's not going to pair as well with the coffee as if it's heated to the right temperature. And we explain it to them and, and ask them to try it again. And, and if some people like it and other people are like, no, no, I want it super hot. And then we, we make another one and we, and we scald the milk for them. So we try and do a balance of being sensitive to people's preferences. I don't think that there's any, and not just in India, anywhere. For us as a business, we're not trying to be super pedantic about our coffee can only be had in this certain way. We want to focus on putting as high a quality product as we possibly can and then try and change consumers' behavior towards that rather than trying to be snobbish about the coffee.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, look, coffee in in all over the world, the coffee snobs, you know, people who drink coffee a certain way and have meticulous orders. And it it sounds like a little bit of that has also traveled to India as well. And education, I guess, is at the heart of kind of getting people on board with specialty coffee and how coffee should be consumed
1: yeah, I mean, because i I think one is that in in almost all coffee producing countries are, have they are on this belt around the equator, and they've typically been lower income countries. So they've always been exporting the good products outside of the country because the purchasing power wasn't available domestically. So I think now, as these countries have gotten richer, educating people what is good coffee, what is you know commodity coffee, what is specialty coffee? What's the difference at the farm level? What's the difference in roasting? What's the difference in brewing? And we try and do a lot of events and activities and, and collaborations to bring more people in. Because I think maybe in, in markets where specialty coffee is, is more understood and has a longer history, you can afford to be very snobbish about preferences there. But in markets that are developing, I think it, it's a better to have a more inclusive approach rather than trying to be the most elite coffee brand in the country.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And actually, there's another question in there that I wanted to ask, and it's around this notion of, I think there traditionally has been a perception within India, certainly in kind of luxury circles, and um, premium ends of the spectrum that all the good stuff is imported, it comes from Europe or the US or wherever. You mentioned to me before that this is slightly changing. And I guess with you having sourcing all of your beans from India, you're part of that process of kind of changing the perception in India that actually, just because it comes from India, it still can be top end.
1: Yeah, I think that perception was definitely there. I remember going to an event when we first started where we were at this five-star hotel and I was brewing coffee and this guy was like, you know, your coffee's good, but the best coffee in the world is grown in the black forest of Germany. And and I was just like, yeah, okay. I just laughed and nodded because obviously Germany doesn't grow any coffee. Uh, he, just, well, he was in Germany and some German roaster gave him a coffee that he liked. But that anchoring in people's mind 10 years ago was that, Imported is good and domestic is bad. And I think that's totally changed in the last 10 years because there's been so many quality-focused brands that are really sourcing great ingredients and producing them with care and reaching consumers in interesting ways. And And now people feel that you don't have to get anything imported. There's a wide access of very high-quality consumable products here in this country, and, and actually that's celebrated. Being Indian is, being a good-quality Indian company is is something that consumers are looking for. They don't want to necessarily have to have the environmental impact of importing stuff from outside of the country. They're happy to support good quality local companies.
0: Yeah, no, it's super cool. And I want to transition into the business itself. So we've talked a lot about kind of coffee in India, long history and culture of coffee in India, and, and clearly your product at the slightly more premium end of the spectrum, catering to that emerging middle class. And your business is mostly in, the big urban centers, right? So your roasteries and your coffee shops are mostly in the kind of more affluent parts of the country.
1: Yeah, so we have three roasteries and they're in the three major metros of the country, Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore. But we do have almost 50 cafes across the country. And so these are still in Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, but also in places like Calcutta and Hyderabad, Chandigarh. With the cafes, we don't really intend to expand to kind of the the smaller tier two and tier three cities. But within the kind of major metros in the country, we see significant scope for opening more cafes and actually if I look at our wholesale side of the business where we we supply coffee and equipment and training to other cafes and restaurants, they're across the entire country places that I would never expected to willing to invest in, in premium equipment and pay for uh, good quality coffee they're they're ordering significant amounts. so it just shows that coffee culture within India is spreading across the entire country and, and is really encouraging and great to see.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. And so, yeah, dialing it back a step, you've got the roasteries. So you started out as a coffee roaster, and then roasting coffees, supplying other coffee shops, and then next came the cafes. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So cafes were not really ever part of the initial plan. So we started the business selling online, and then then we started the wholesale side of the business. When we had raised some, so we were bootstrapped for the first two years, and then we raised some seed funding, and with that we we finally moved out a number of Number parents' house into a proper roastery. But It was in a neighborhood of Delhi called uh, Sezalajab, which is really an urban village. It was a bunch of chicken warehouses. And so there was no actual natural footfalls. You had to go down a gully and go into this gate and this compound. But we took it because it was cheap and we wanted uh, cheap space for what was primarily manufacturing. But we happened to have some extra space there. And so we thought, okay, why don't we open up a cafe? It'll give us a chance to kind of control the experience and brew the coffee in the way that we would like it to be brewed. And much to our surprise, there were people who were coming in and seeking us out just for a cup of coffee. We didn't even have food at that time. And so we found that having these physical spaces was really important in terms of showing people what was different about our coffee compared to the standard coffee available in the market and, and ultimately having them taste it,
0: because that's really where the big difference is. 100%. And then from there, it was just a, a case of scaling up. So what the first cafe would have been, you said, two years after the first roast, which was 2011. So first cafe 2013? No, so I moved to India in 2011, and we started
1: the business in 2013. So the first cafe opened up in, in 2015. And then about six months later, we opened another cafe roastery in Bombay. And then we started opening up standalone cafes, uh, while continuing to operate the B2B in the online business.
0: And now the biggest kind of chunk of the business revenue wise, is that still supplying other coffee shops, restaurants, hotels with Roasted coffee beans, or is it the cafe business, which is now equally as kind of popular?
1: So actually, pre-COVID, the majority of revenue was coming from our own cafes. When COVID happened, that obviously had a significant impact. The restrictions in India were quite severe. And and it also kind of changed people's behavior. Online orders shot up. They just overnight 2 to 3 x And now actually, 50% of the overall revenue from the company comes from the coffee products. So the packets of coffee that we sell and the beans that we supply to other establishments. And then fifty percent of the revenue comes from the brewed
0: coffee and the food that we serve in our cafes. It's awesome. Yeah. Such a cool business. We're kind of very darling back this this kind of coffee culture, boutique coffee shops. It's such an ingrained part of our lives here in the Western world, London, you know, every street corner there. And and you know this coming from the US, there's there's a new coffee shop popping up, but To hear this spreading to India, and you guys aren't the only one. You have competitors, right? The space is getting more and more competitive.
1: Yeah, actually, every day there's a new coffee roaster starting up, it seems. I mean, I think uh, one is coffee is increasingly cool. Tea is kind of the everyday, whereas coffee is the new kind of cool thing. And I think also maybe people don't actually have the same level of appreciation for how difficult of a business it is. They think, I'll source some beans and I'll put in a roaster and then, you know, the orders will just keep flooding in. But I think it definitely indicates that there's growing interest in customers, right? More and more people are, are shifting from commodity coffee to these more premium coffee players. And, and I think that that's a sign of a healthy market. The more people who enter, they communicate with people in a different way and they have different geographic markets where they're stronger. So it's actually helping to grow the market overall. And so we've really just kind of scratched the surface of the potential for coffee here.
0: 100%. And and actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask was about lockdown. You sort of mentioned it there. Clearly, because of the way you built the business with multiple different strands to it, you're not just a, a coffee shop business. Yeah, it sounds as though COVID for you wasn't as disruptive as it could have been.
1: Yeah, definitely. It wasn't as disruptive as it could have been. It was still a, a very difficult challenge for us because 70% of the staff were working at cafes and so there was considerations about what are we going to do? Do we have to close locations? Do we have to lay off staff? Do we have to do salary cuts? So that was a very challenging time. And we were fortunate in the sense that we had already established our online business and our wholesale supply. So it's not like we had to start those from scratch. So those kind of helped counterweight whatever was happening on the cafe side and, and help us sustain overall. And I think there's another thing is that there's been a huge behavior shift happened because of COVID that now more and more people are getting coffee delivered. I think delivery as a share of revenue from the cafe pre-COVID was in the low single digits, and now it's up to 30, 35%. And if you would have told me that that was going to happen pre-COVID, I would have said, there's no way, there's no market for that. But I think once you get used to kind of the convenience of it, then it does lead to a behavioral change. I noticed for myself, even sometimes in the morning, I don't feel like firing up the grinder and, and making a pour over, and I'll just go into the app and order order a cafe, uh, an Americano from the nearest Butokai cafe and I'll get it delivered to myself. So even for me, it's led to some behavioral change.
0: We obviously have a lot of coffee here in, the, in Europe, and, but actually delivery, I know there are a couple of coffee shops that do do delivery, but have you conquered on the, the bumpy Indian roads not spilling your hot Americano? How does that work?
1: Yeah, we have a good sealing system on top of the cups where there's a, a foil that gets heat sealed on top of it. So that kind of makes it spill proof. And now the next thing is the, ten, the hyper-local delivery. I'm not sure how common that is where you are, but here this 10, 15-minute instant delivery is the next big wave. And, and actually we feel with coffee, that'll also help kind of drive things further. Right now, if you order on one of the apps, it takes somewhere between 30 to 45 minutes for your order to come. But if you can get a, a hot cup of coffee delivered to you in, in 10, 12 minutes, that's great for, in terms of convenience.
0: Well, it's a game changer, I guess, for your business.
1: Yeah, so we're just doing some pilots now with that.
0: And yeah, I guess that leads us nicely into what the kind of future for you guys looks like. It sounds as though you're just getting going 50 coffee shops, three roasteries, an infinite amount of hotels, restaurants, other outlets and cafes to supply with coffee in a country like India that, you know, adapting these new trends like boutique or speciality coffee. What is next?
1: We're expanding across all of our business lines. I think for us, there's this very strong focus on products to make good quality coffee more convenient and accessible. There's still a a strong kind of inertia that instant coffee is the de facto coffee. So people are looking for things that offer that level of convenience where you just take a spoon and stir it in your cup and, and then you have a cup of coffee ready to drink. And so if that's kind of the benchmark, then moving to specialty coffee where You have to have some kind of brewing equipment and you need to follow some recipe. That's sort of a mental hurdle for a lot of people. So for us, we're really focused on bringing products that can kind of bridge that gap. So ready to brew products that have kind of a filter inbuilt so you don't have to have any additional equipment, you know, Nespresso compatible pods that are biodegradable is something that we'll be launching very soon. And then also looking at kind of the ready to drink segment, which we see a lot of potential in. So right now we have uh, canned cold brew, but that's only available in black varieties, whereas obviously the larger part of the market is milk drinking. So we have uh, milk and, and also alternative milk products under development that we'll be launching soon. So it's really trying to reach customers wherever they are in their coffee journey. So if you're a hardcore coffee enthusiast, we have the highest scoring light roast with the most unique processing methods available for you. But if you're kind of just a coffee curious, let's say, and you're not really ready to jump into the deep end, then we have also products and coffee products that can help you bridge that divide. That's epic.
0: Yeah, and of course, every kind of person I speak to about the coffee or who's in the coffee game is, at the end of the day, it's an addictive substance, coffee. We're all kind of hooked on it. We can't wean ourselves off it. So it's a great business to be in.
1: Yes, it's addictive, but also has significant health benefits. There's all these studies in Finland and and the Nordic countries where they consume all kinds of coffee. And I was reading that the maximum health benefits come at five to six cups a day. So people have scope to get up to that level. So
0: drink some more coffee. I need up my game. What What's your number a day? Yeah, I'm at about five. I'm at about five. Okay, and you sleep okay? Yeah. So actually, there's a
1: genetic difference. Some people are very have a some genetic difference where they're susceptible to caffeine, and some people caffeine doesn't really affect them. So I'm in the latter category.
0: You're an espresso after dinner kind of guy, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's never going to be me. Up until about 2, 3 p.m., I could, yeah, I drink lots of it. I love it. As you could tell, I could talk to you on and on about this. But I guess, and I'm really curious to hear your answer here, the question that I ask all of the guests that come on on the show is, what one thing would you like my listeners to think differently about India? You clearly moved from the U.S. to India with an Indian father. So you've kind of seen the best of both. And you must have heard all kinds of misconceptions thrown your way about what India is like. So yeah, what would you like people to think differently about India?
1: Actually, more and more people are aware of India as a market. And so some of the, I would say, cruder comparisons that I used to hear growing up, you don't really have that perception anymore. But I would just like people to, very selfishly, I would like people to understand that the coffee that's grown in India can objectively sit anywhere with coffee grown in other parts of the world. It's typically seen as a a low cost, low quality producer that grows a lot of robusta and and India does grow a lot of robusta, but actually there are states in India who are really pushing the envelope in terms of practices at the agricultural level, as well as the post-harvest practices and the scores, the cup scores that are coming out of India can compare with anywhere else. So I would really encourage people to give
0: Indian coffee a try. That's a nice, nice way to finish. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on and talking to us about your business and something that I... Wish was there, and when I was there in India, I would have been in one of your cafes a lot, I think. And I can't wait to come and visit you in a blue tokai when I'm next in India. Yeah, definitely. Would love to have
1: a cup of coffee with you.
0: Awesome. Well, look, thanks a lot and take care. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to Inside India with me, Ben Haywood. If you like what you have heard, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or indeed wherever you might listen don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode we'll be back with a brand new episode in two weeks time until then stay safe